Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hockey fans, light the lamp this winter with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger payouts with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot at an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Welcome everyone to the PJ's Cast. I'm your host, Pierre Strong, so I'm my usual co-host, Schmitty. But we have a very special guest, the first guest of 2023 for our show, making his second appearance on the show, Brock Otten of McKean's Hockey. How's it going, Brock? Good, Pierce. Thanks. Uh, I feel special. First guest of the new year. Yeah. First podcast of the new year. Like This is our first show of the new year, so honored to to have you here. here. And I think it's a perfect day to have you on because yesterday we had some incredible World Junior Hockey. Today is the off day before we get to the semifinals. There's going to be Canada versus USA, which is it's always going to be a good matchup. And then Czechia and Sweden, I think that's going to be a solid matchup as well. And then next after that will be the bronze medal game and gold medal game. And um, first question I have to ask is um, there has, the last time we had you on was in, I think, late August after the the World Juniors tournament was held in August. And so many things have changed. So many players have risen up. So many have gone down. But the one uh, constant remain has been Connor Bedard has been spectacular. And I just felt watching that game yesterday that the Slovaks were somehow going to pull up an upset and it would have taken taken something incredible to beat that Slovak goalie. And uh, lo and behold, that's what Connor Bedard did. And um, a lot of a lot of things have come out like, oh, is Connor Bedard the best prospect since McDavid? Is he better than McDavid? I feel like not necessarily a boring question, but I want to ask this question: What are some teams that you like to see Connor Bedard play for? Like, which NHL teams do you think would be fun watching him on? Who who's this Connor Bedard? Do you speak? Of? I've never heard of. Him. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> no, honestly, he's he's been so good at this tournament. Like, it, the expectations were so high, right? And he's kind of blown them out of the water, which is. Remarkable to say. Yeah, in terms like of averaging teams, four points a game, I think. Uh, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. it's insane. Um, in terms of teams, uh, I gotta be honest, and I, I seem to recall one of one of you guys was a big Coyotes fan. I can't remember which one of you. Oh was. no, he's not with us today. But yes, uh, yes. Uh, I just don't want to see him go to the desert. Honestly, like <laughs> uh, we can't have I, him in front of three thousand fans a night. No, and it's just the way that. 
the franchise is just struggling, right? And I just would love to see him somewhere else. And I no offense to the Coyotes fans. I know there's quite a few who follow my work. Um, and I'm probably going to make some some enemies there. Um, but <laughs> We're with you on that one. We'll have your back. I, I think uh, of the teams that have struggled in the standings this year, I think it would be very interesting to see him in A, Seattle. They'd have to struggle probably a little bit more. But, you know, they've got a really good thing being built there, I, I think, with the Kraken and with a fan base. And I think it would be cool to have, you know, uh, an expansion team get Bedard. Um be a very great kickstart for them. Uh, like I said, they're they're already on their way, but we definitely, honestly, maybe even push them into the playoffs. I mean, in a couple of years, um, as opposed to maybe further down the line if it's not Bedard, right? Uh, California would be interesting as well. I think that it's always good for the NHL when the California market is is doing well and. We've seen a lot of really good players come out of the Southern U.S. in, in recent years, more so in the past. And obviously, Wayne Gretzky sort of kickstarted that. But wouldn't it be great to see another sort of franchise, exceptional, potential top player in the league go to the West Coast uh, in you know maybe Anaheim, maybe San Jose? I think it'd be very cool to see him there too. I'm not holding out much hope that a Canadian market can get their hands on Bedard. Yeah, it just, no. It's not looking good right now in terms of the standings. Um, it's going to be an arms race to the bottom. If there's anything we've probably learned or the NHL scouts learned from this tournament is that Bedard is everything as advertised and more. And the NHL trade deadline is going to be very, very interesting this year. I think you're going to see a lot of teams sort of hold off and then do their major selling right near the deadline just because of cap floor situations and cap ceiling situations. And I know that that's sort of been in the news um, a bunch about teams just kind of waiting to the last minute this year. It's going to be really, really interesting to see all these teams just dump everything they can to to give themselves the best chance of getting the dark. Yeah, and being being Blackhawks fans, I, I, at least for myself, like I've really like had low expectations. I'm like, oh, okay, like if we don't get Connor Bedard, it's not the end of the world. And just watching that that him score that goal against Slovakia, it's that, that like SpongeBob clip where he's like, I don't need it, I don't need it, and it's like, oh, I need it. And that's that was me watching that that video yesterday, that goalie scored it yesterday, just ridiculous. But I feel if he doesn't go to the Blackhawks, at the very least, keep him out of the Central, which I. Other really other than Arizona, I don't know if that'll be a problem. But if I Connor Bedard like... is a St. Louis Blue, I might have to stop watching hockey. Just <laughs> yeah. gonna have to say it. Like, that's that's he can't if he goes to a team that doesn't need him and already has a decent setup and they're just banged up the craft this year, I'm gonna be a little disappointed. Like I need him to go somewhere where like the team actually needs him. Like like you said earlier, if he goes to, like a San Jose or an Anaheim, that's probably perfect because when those markets are good, it's fun. And honestly, if Zegers and Bedard are on the same team, that's that's highlight hockey. Yeah, every single imagine night. that power play, right? Like, holy that just, smokes! You know, you've got McTavish running the net front. Yeah. <laughs> you've got Bedard and and Zegers on the flanks. Troy Terry becomes an afterthought, which is just crazy yeah. to think about. Like, oh yeah, man. it is. It would be an insane setup for sure. Or he goes to Philly and he rots with torts. You know, there's just you, there's just so many options where it's like I don't like this. <laughs> I, I don't know if torts will outlive. In terms of his coaching, uh, that is, yeah. uh, outlived the Bedard era. So uh, I don't know if you've got to worry about him having to handle Bedard. 
I hope. I gosh, I hope not, because that would. That's just not a like. There's matches made in heaven, and then there's matches made in like purgatory. That's exactly what that is. Yeah. It's like, it's not even hell. It's just like I mean, obviously, Torts knows how to work with talent. He Artemi Panarin had two great years in Columbus, but it's just like, I don't need him with a coach like that. I need him with someone that's just gonna let him fly free. Like, don't try to morph him into something that he's not once he gets into the league. Yeah, don't clip his wings. Yes, don't clip his wings. I'm a peacock. You gotta let me fly. <laughs> well, enough about this Connor Bedard fella. He's been getting enough of the the headlines, I guess. Um, there's also been a lot of other pro- high end prospects that are supposed to go high in this draft. Have done well in the tournament. Leo Carlson. I think he missed a game with an injury, but he had a great game against Finland. And just that the whole Slovak. I really do feel bad for the Slovaks and. But again, it was if it was going to take an amazing goal or something to beat the Slovak goal, and that's exactly what happened. Like Czechia has been great with all the, the all the young talent they have. It's I feel this year, in particular for the World Juniors, even without Russia, this is kind of like a middle finger to everyone that's like, oh, the World Juniors aren't competitive enough. Like we saw Czechia beat Canada, we saw Slovakia beat the United States. Like. I don't think any team went perfect. Like I think, I, I think Czechia, even though I think they're number one overall, they still lost in overtime to Sweden. So I think it's been a, a great tournament to watch. And the the World Junior just never never disappoints. There's always always great moments, and there's, this tournament certainly hasn't been uh, short of that. Um, kind of off the World Juniors for a bit. Um, what are some players this year so far that have kind of surprised you, moved up in your rankings that you maybe didn't expect them to, and maybe some players? I don't want to say disappointing because I feel disappointing is a, it's a bit of a strong word, but maybe you want to, like, you want Slow to be start. out of them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, this question I, I'm going to sort of field from an OHL perspective for now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with my work at, at McKean's, the one thing I try to do is really get a – a firm grip or a firm grasp of my own region in Ontario before I start to really like dive deep into the other regions. That's not to say that I haven't watched um, some of the main guys available this year, but that's sort of like a January, February, March project for me. uh, Once I've got a really good handle on on Ontario. Um, So if we're talking about Ontario, I think the two biggest disappointments this year have been Cal Ritchie and and Cam Allen. I think both of these guys came into the year as potential lottery selections Allen was certainly in the conversation as the best defenseman available. Kyle Ritchie was somebody people were mentioning as, you know, in that Carlson, Dvorsky, Braden Yeager conversation in that like top seven range. And uh, both of them just haven't been terrific. Uh, Cam Allen and his Guelph Storm have really disappointed this year. Now they're selling off. Kyle Ritchie was always going to be playing for a rebuilding team in Oshawa, but I think that he's really struggled to be sort of that focal point. I think it's going to be really interesting to see once they move Brett Harrison in Oshawa to see how he handles really taking the reins there. Um, I don't, I think he's played better the last month, Kyle Ritchie, but I, I still want more. I actually watched one of his games recently um, just before the sort of Christmas break there. And uh, <laughs> He's driving play well on the man advantage, but at even strength, I think he still leaves a lot to be desired. And it's kind of made me reconfigure my idea of his potential and upside. I think that there's – I'm actually kind of more on the on the concept of him having a pretty solid floor as a big centerman. Um, 
who I think has played pretty well defensively this year. It's just offensively, I kind of want more. And it's making me think, you know, is this guy really a top end, top first line talent? Or is he more of like a middle six guy? Uh, Cam Allen, the I think he struggled with the expectations in Guelph, kind of being that number one on what was supposed to be a good team. I think a lot of his mistakes have kind of come from just trying to do too much. And that's something that we see sometimes from draft eligible players that come into the year pretty hyped is it's like, how do I build off of my previous season, which was already pretty good. I was the captain of the Holinka team and had a really good Holinka Gretzky had a really good first OHL season. How do I build off that? And then it becomes a, a stressor, right? Especially when you throw into the, the fact that Guelph as a team really struggled. So now you've got two sort of stressors on you. You've got your draft season and you've got to try to find a way to help your team get out of a funk. And it just becomes kind of like a spiral. And now he's out for uh, at least a month now with a yeah, shoulder injury. He's probably, yeah, probably going to miss the top prospects game. I would think it'll be right on the cusp of, of his um, timeline for recovery. So we'll see how that develops, but um, it, it's tough. Uh, those two, I think are now looking more like 25 to 40 range picks. And, and that might even be generous at, at this point, um, just with the strength of this draft class. Colby Barlow uh, is somebody who I think started the year with a pretty solid draft ranking in that like top 20 range. And he's kind of held firm with a, with a pretty strong year. I think there are some limitations to his game offensively, but I think there's a really solid trajectory with the way that he plays. Um, and he's the type of guy that NHL teams are going to really like uh, the way that he doesn't have to have his minutes sheltered. He can play in sort of any situation. And then I guess the other sort of like big four guy that, that people are talking about would be quite musty. And uh, since the coaching change in Sudbury, he's been a different player. And I think it's been great. Uh, he, he's a lot more physically dialed in. I think that there's still some concerns from, from my end anyway uh, about, the hockey IQ, I know it's a sort of like a standard term, but there are situations where I would like to see him do things differently in the offensive end. Um, but I, I like that he's driving the net more, that he's playing with a little more physical using uh, force and using his size a little yeah. more to his advantage. I think that was sort of – there was a lot more like question marks surrounding Musty entering the year for me than there were things that I was really, really – uh, for lack of better term, secure about. Um, so now uh, he's a guy that's moving up my list. I, I would take Musty over Kyle Ritchie at this point. I think that it's Barlow and Musty at 1-2 from the OHL. And then the ranking that you have after that would just depend on who you ask. I know that's a, that's a very long answer, Pierce, and I, I apologize. Oh, no. I wanted, to sort, of hit, I wanted to sort of hit like the big four from, from the OHL because um, I felt like it kind of yeah, with Quint, with Quinn Musty and like a lot of prospects that are just big prospects, especially when they play in junior leagues, I feel they don't know their own strength a lot of the times, where it takes them a long time to get comfortable in their big body, and even that even goes over to the NHL. And then you see players, I think like Alex Tuck has really been someone who had a big body and maybe took a few years to kind of take off. And then maybe the best example, maybe bit of an unfair comparison but like Tage Thompson like how many years did he spend in university and then kind of was didn't really have a prominent role and now he's like he's a six seven center he's kind of a unicorn uh, a unique case but like just seeing him just 
play like he's like five seven, so six seven, but still using his size to his advantage. It's yeah, just, just to sort of piggyback on that concept, it appears it, it's something that I've actually talked to some scouts about recently, and that's the success that teams have had selecting sort of that high upside athletic build uh, player in that you know top seventy five range. A lot of those guys have done really well. In recent years, um, look at the Canadian World Junior Team, right? You've got Keaton Bank here. You've got Zach Ostapchuk, two guys who sort of fit that exact mold where teams were like, this guy's big, but he can skate pretty well, pretty skilled. How is this all going to come together? I'm not sure, but this is the type of player that we want to take and we want to try to develop. And teams are doing that more often now. Um, there, it's not like the old school days where they were just – Banking on size. So if you were six foot three, Dylan you got drafted. Right. It's not the <laughs> Dylan McElrath era. It's if you're big and you can skate and you can do a bunch of other things well, and there's a solid sort of floor for you, teams are going to be very interested in you because development for teenagers is very unpredictable. Um, there's a lot it's of things that go into it. It is very nonlinear. And the fact that it's nonlinear makes these players more attractive to NHL teams because you're going to have your Drake Bathersons that come out of that, right? Where players are just sort of hitting their stride in the CHL. And as they continue to develop off the ice, on the ice, their potential sort of shifts, right? It becomes, okay, this guy looks like he could be sort of like a solid third liner for us. Oh, well, now his puck skills have improved. Now he's a little bit quicker, a little bit more explosive. He's gaining confidence in his ability to transport the puck, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And those layers get built on. Suddenly, now you're talking about a top six forward with size, speed, skill. And these are the types of players that teams are targeting, especially at the forward position now. Definitely. Um, Shmiri, I'll let you take the floor now. I've done enough talking. Um, <clears throat> I, I guess just it kind of to with what you were saying about kind of like the top four in the OHL and whatnot, uh, who do you think needs to have kind of like the best second half in order to help their draft stock? I know you were mentioning that Alan and Richie were kind of falling down your ranking. Um, were there any other names that maybe came up as well that you maybe need a strong second half to help their draft stock? Yeah, Cam Allen is the, is the main one. I know we already talked about him, but you can only ride the wave of things that you do in your U17 year and in the Holinka so far. I'm going to bring up an example. Spencer Silva, he was fantastic in his U17 year. Uh, we had really high expectations for him coming into his draft year. Had a really disappointing draft year and didn't get drafted. Uh, he was on a lot of first-round lists coming into his draft year and did not get drafted. So it's it's not like this is set in stone. Like Cam Allen is the type of guy that really needs a strong second half to stop that sort of free fall. Like, I have talked to people who, who wouldn't even have Cam Allen in their top 10 of OHL players available right now. And that would put him firmly in that, like, late second, early third round range. And if things don't improve, right, there are teams who probably wouldn't even be interested in drafting him um, in a strong draft year, right? So now it's about trying to find that consistency in the second half once he gets healthy, Um Guelph is probably going to continue to sort of free fall in the West once they sort of move more people out. They moved Danny Zilkin recently. Uh, I don't think they're done. 
he's probably going to get a chance to play the U18s, probably going to get a chance to wear a letter at the U18s, which will be great for him. Um, I really hope that he can turn things around. And I, I think a lot of it is, is mental. And we're seeing Spencer Soba is a perfect example. Look at the year that Spencer Soba is having this year in Erie, where I think as, as long as he keeps up this current rate, he's somebody that's going to get drafted this year in his second year of eligibility. Um, he's been one of the better defenders, offensively at least, in the OHL this year. And is finally sort of hitting that stride now that all that weight is off of his shoulders and he can just focus on playing hockey. Um, we forget how often these guys struggle with these kind of things because they're teenagers after all, right? Uh, playing away from home in different markets on teams that might be struggling, and it's a lot to, to bear. Um, outside of Cam Allen, um, I would say that for me, the big one would probably be Hmm. I'm going to throw Hunter Brustavich in there. Uh, he's somebody who I think has a chance to really move up draft lists or move up or move slowly move down. Sorry. Um, based on how he plays in the second half for a Kitchener team, which is going to try to move up the standings. I think it's on him to sort of prove to people that he has a fairly high ceiling. I think that when you look at sort of the athletic skill set, it's probably average. Um, average skater, average build. There's how much of a projection there is physically for him. I don't know. And he's going to need to prove that that IQ is really high. Um, and that skill level is high enough for him to be a quality NHL defender for him to sort of stay in that top 50 range. Cause I think that there's some other OHL defenders like Bo Aiki, like Oliver Bonk that are really trending up. Right now, even Matthew Mania in Sudbury has played really, really well um, since the coaching change with Quentin Musty. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's somebody that has a lot more to lose than he has to gain uh, playing for a really strong Kitchener team. And he, he's somebody I think that's very polarizing currently already. <laughs> yeah, he's he's pretty polarizing with our scouting or our own scouting department. I, I for one, can see the hockey IQ and like, I think it's just going to depend on what team thinks they can capitalize on that skill set the most. Like if a team is known for the way I look at him is like, he could be like a second power play quarterback. That's the way I've been looking at him this whole draft. And if a team can, and that's good at developing players like that could pick him up. Like, I don't know if like this would be a good system, but if he could somehow find a way into like St. Louis's system where he can learn from guys like Tori Krug and like Nick Letty and all these guys, like that could help him out so much down the line. And I just, if he gets put in the right system, I could see it working. It just like the right team. He it's, it's one of those situations where it's gotta be the right team that develops defensemen the right way. Cause if they try to make him something, he's not, that's how he just becomes another, like, I feel like a good example on a smaller scale, Ian Mitchell's kind of fallen into this right now to where his size and skill set doesn't fit what the coach wants. But if you use him the way he's supposed to be used, he can be productive and be an, be an NHL player. It just depends on, I guess what team could actually use those strengths to their advantage. Yeah. I think Ian Mitchell is a really good example. I think there's lots of guys who sort of fit that mold on the back end as prospects. And that's when it becomes very difficult to project types like Brustavich, um, who don't have that high end athletic skill set. right? Mm -hmm. There's only so many Adam Foxes out there where that, Lack of athleticism is made up for by just extreme advanced 
hockey IQ, knowledge of of playing the sport, and just the way that he sees the game, sees the ice, is at an elite level. Um, and Adam Fox maybe is more of the unicorn than he is the norm, right? Um, for every Adam Fox, there's been a, a whole bunch of guys drafted in the top 50 who just... The exception, not the rule. Right. They, they just can't break through. Uh, Travis Dermott is, is a great example, former Leafs prospect, not the most athletically talented defender, pretty decent at moving the puck, pretty decent at both ends, but that lack of a true standout skill really held him back from being the kind of like top four defenseman that I think some of us had hoped that he would become, right? And those types can be very dangerous to project. And that, <coughs> excuse me, when I look at a guy like Boeke, who's one of the best, in my opinion, not just in the OHL, one of the best skating defenders available this year, um, he's somebody who I think it is a lot easier to project his skill set to the NHL level. Um, and that's where Rustavich, I think, has to have a really good second half for uh, a team in Kitchener that has aspirations of winning a championship. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I agree a hundred percent. I guess my other question would just have to be, um, I know at least for you, you mainly cover the OHL, but um, it doesn't seem like from at least my research that this is going to be a very heavy goaltender draft. There's no goalie that sticks out. Like the last couple of years, I feel like we've been pretty fortunate if there's been a guy or two in the first round that peaks interest, but this year it doesn't seem like there's going to be that. I was just wondering who maybe your top goalie is on your big board right now. If you, yeah, I mean, I'll actually probably kind of disagree with you, Dylan. I think it's a oh, really okay. good year for, for goalies uh, compared to last year. I think last year was probably the worst goaltending prop oh, I've yeah, ever last seen. I, I've, I've been covering prospects for, for a long time, and it is the worst that I can ever remember. And this year, our scouting team at McKean's has two guys that were really high on and a third that were pretty high on, and that would be Michael Rabble, uh Carson Bjornsson, and then Trey Augustine. And I think those three are really good goaltending prospects who have a chance to go inside that sort of like top 40, top 50 range. Um, and not just because they're the best goalie available, because sometimes that kind of happens. I think we saw that last year with Leinonen. Um, yeah. I don't think he necessarily deserved to go as high as he did, but it was more of a case of, okay, he's probably the best goalie available. We need goalie help in our system, blah, 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 blah or we want to target goalies, so we're going to take him. These three, I think, have a chance to go quite high because teams are going to feel like they are really, really good goaltending prospects who have a chance to be starting net miners, and not just starting net miners, but really good starting net miners in the NHL. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I, I'll, I'll make a prediction right now. I think at least one of those three guys ends up going in the first round. And... Um, and I don't think a team will be disappointed with that selection. And then when we look at some of the other guys, the OHL doesn't have much this year. But when we look at, say, some of the players in out west, you've got Scott Ratzlaff, who maybe isn't the biggest, uh, but he had a really good Holinka, has had a pretty good season in the WHL. You've got uh, how about Adam Guyan, right? Like just how well he played for Slovakia is in his second year of draft eligibility if he can manage to hang on to a USHL spot, I, I know that they had kind of been talking about him playing in the USHL, but he's mostly played in the NHL or NAHL this year. Uh, only been called up as an injury fill-in in the USHL. So if he can catch on and play really well in the second half, he's somebody who's going to move up really, really quickly. It won't matter whether it's his second year of eligibility or not. Um, and then 
as the year goes on, we're going to see more and more out of like Sweden, Finland, uh, and Europe in general, Russia, um, goaltenders from those regions. I, I think it's a really strong year for, for goalies, quite frankly. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I just, um, I hadn't looked too much into the goalie crop this year. I just like based off of last year, I was just like, it, like you said, last year's was just so rough. I didn't, but it's good to hear that there's actually like options throughout. It sounds like the top three rounds. So that should be good to, for good for a lot of teams at least. Cause I, I don't know. It just seems like the last like five, seven years or so, it's usually like one or two goalies, but like if there's like five or six guys, that's awesome. So yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's still very, very early. Um, we're only in January here, yeah. and a lot can happen, right? Um, but I, I would say, and I didn't mean to contradict you or anything, Dylan. I didn't mean. Oh no, to, it's to, all. To, I, to, <laughs> trust me, your opinion is you, you're way more informed than I am, so I will take your word for it, hundred percent. But it is refreshing. I, I agree completely. It's very refreshing to see um, this goaltending crop because I think it's better than some of the ones we've seen recently. Maybe not from. A CHL oh, perspective, yeah. uh, yeah. I wish that we were maybe developing a little bit better out of the CHL than we yeah, are in the OHL. Yeah. It's, it seems yeah. like it's been a while since the OHL has really developed a, a strong goaltender. Ben Goudreau, I, I thought would be that guy, but he's he's really struggled this year. Um, I, I think that he's really fighting it. I think that we saw that at the World Juniors. We've seen it in the OHL this year. When the OHL is able to to get a really good goaltender available for the NHL draft again, who knows? Um, but hopefully, sometime soon. I can't even think of the last one to be honest. I just feel in general, Canada just hasn't really developed goalies over much over the past decade or so. It's been a while. Yeah, like and goalies, I mean, yeah. uh, I don't know if you know who Rob Garrison is, but he put out a really interesting thread on Twitter. He's a goaltending expert, uh, former goalie himself just about why Canada is struggling right now to develop high-end net miners. And it was a very interesting thread. I highly recommend going to read it. It was just talking about how there's so many different, there were so many different reasons. Some of the major ones were just the imbalance of teams at the younger age where, you know, some of the better goaltenders are playing on teams, which are just dominating and they're not being challenged. Um, and that's a major issue. You're looking at, um, teams not cycling in their net miners. So really only developing like one net miner and not developing overall, because again, we talked about how development is nonlinear, right? So if you're not really opening it up to all the different options, you're really restricting the amount of players who are going to develop as goaltenders. Right. Um, but yeah, highly recommend checking out his, his thread. Um, it was, it was a great read. Just like over the past five years, the only goalies uh, like I can think of them, like the jury, I guess, is still kind of out on is Carter Hart from 2018 and then De Devin Levi from 2021, who I think has a bright career ahead of him. Same with Connor Hart, but like we still, they're still not like, it's not like set in stone whether they're going to be these like elite goalies like Carey Price was from a while back and like Roberto Luongo, like way, way back. Like it's been a while since Canada's churned out some high-end goaltending talent, but yeah, I mean, and, and hopefully Carson Bjarnson can be that guy this year. Um, he was he didn't really play much at the link of he's got Ratzlaff was so good, but he's been really good in the W this uh, this year. And I think he's somebody who has a chance to be that next really good goaltender from, from Canada. Other than Devin Levi, of course, who I can't say enough good things about. I know he's kind of struggled a little bit uh, in the last couple months for Northeastern, but uh, that hasn't changed my opinion of him. I think he's going to be a really good NHL netminder. 
I'm very curious to see Levi once he gets in Buffalo's system and is in like Rochester and what they're going to do with him. Cause now it's starting to seem like UPL starting to figure it out. So if they can get both of them rocking, Buffalo is just going to be in. They're going to, they're going to solve their one problem. So that's going to be nice. Well, it'll be great too, because it means they don't have to rush him. Right. The yeah. worst thing that could have happened with Devin Levi is if Buffalo's goaltending situation hadn't really figured itself out by the time he graduated this year, um, to the pro level, I should say anyway. And then Buffalo was just rushing him to be the next savior so that they can make the playoffs. I think you look at sometimes those smaller net miners, when I say smaller, I mean like the average size net miners do have a bit of trouble um, transitioning to the pro level just because there's that, that room for error is just so much smaller for them because they don't have that size that makes up for it. So sometimes it can be a bit of a transitional issue. I think you look at the way that Dustin Wolf is being developed in, in Calgary is great. They're kind of slow playing him, even though he's been fantastic. They're not rushing him. And I think that's going to be good for his development long-term. And I think it would be very wise for Buffalo to take a, a similar route with Devin Levi. I agree a hundred percent. And it, I mean, it, like you said, they have the option to do so now, especially with UPL doing well and they'll have cap space to even go sign a stopgap netminder if they need it. So that's, that's, Best case scenario for him. Um, so I have a couple more questions. This would be from our uh, our group chat that we do for our, our scouting uh, Substack. Um, this is from his name is Taylor. Are there any names who were passed over last year in the OHL that are having a strong draft plus one year that could get drafted this year? Yeah. So I already mentioned Spencer Silva. I think he's definitely number one on the list right now. Like I said, been one of the best offensive defenders in the OHL this year. I think he's really done some good work to improve his defensive work as well, to improve his sort of desire to play physically. I think that he got pushed around too much last year in his draft year, especially when it came to defending the net and defending around the corners and, and just working to, to battle and, and win those 50-50 pucks. I think that was something he really struggled with, and I think that – it really had a negative impact on his game overall. And this year, I think that that's improved and his confidence offensively has really blossomed. And this is a guy who was extremely highly touted before. This isn't somebody who's just kind of come out of nowhere. This is somebody who was very highly touted and has finally taken that next step forward to play at the level that we all expected him of, uh, expected him to hit. And I, I would be shocked if he doesn't get selected this year, uh, as long as he continues to play the way that he has. Uh, another one I'll throw at you is Linus Hemstrom in, in Kingston. I think that he's done a really good job coming in as a first-year import. Very, very quick. One, one of the fastest players in the OHL for, for my money, uh, at least at the forward position. I think he's somebody that they're using in a lot of different ways. He's very versatile. And I think that there's sort of like a, a solid floor there. I don't know how much the or how high the offensive ceiling is, but I think he's had a really good year uh, for a surprising Kingston team. And I think that definitely some scouts have taken uh, taken notice of that. I, I know that coming into the year, I talked to a scout from, from Sweden about Hemstrom, actually, who was mentioning that he was somebody that was pretty highly touted at a younger age, but then had some issues with injuries and whatnot. And it kind of like stunted his development to a certain degree. And it was going to be a very interesting move to see him come to the OHL because they had really high hopes for how he played in Kingston. And, and that guy was 100% right. I think he's been really good. Those are the two that sort of stick out immediately for me. Gotcha. 
And last couple questions, I guess. Uh, the, the first one being, um, what are some standouts for the 2024 class? Like, I've paid a fair amount of attention to the 2023 class, but uh, who's supposed who uh, who's supposed to be at the top end for the 2024 class? Well, if if we're gonna just talk about OHL guys, um, it's the defense. It is the best group of OHL defenders that we've had in quite some time. Uh, we saw that at the U17s where a lot of the OHL play, uh, OHL defenders were among the three or the, the best on the three Canadian teams. They've been really good this year in the OHL. There's so many U17 defenders playing top four roles on their OHL teams this year. And it's, it's remarkable. You've got two guys in Henry Muse and Zane Parekh who are on pace to break OHL records for U17 defenders. You've got Sam Dickinson in London who is just – who just looks like a, a pro defender already, um, has so many things going for him. Um, it, there's just so much depth and high-end talent there. Uh, in terms of outside of the OHL, I think you've got to look at South of the Border. I think you've got to look at Cole Iserman. Um, and you've got to look at uh, Celebrini. I think those two are, are two guys that I think are going to find themselves near the top or at the top of the draft class. Anytime I've ever watched either of those two, they've been fantastic. And I think both are just absolutely dynamic talents. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, last question for the show, what is your hot take for the 2023 draft? uh, That is a good one. Okay, so I'm going to give you one from the OHL. And that is that Carson Rakoff is a first-round talent. And I think that he's going to end up being drafted in the first round. He's been absolutely fantastic the last couple of months for Kitchener. There's so many things that he checks off. Big body who can skate, plays physically, has positional versatility, can score, plays both ends. Great forechecker, great without the puck. If that skill development can take place, that takes him to that next level, we're talking about a really good NHL player. And it's kind of that same type of player that we talked about earlier, right, who has – So many different things on a checklist they check off, but maybe there's some inconsistencies in their skills uh, in terms of how they transport the puck, in terms of, you know, how they problem solve out of traffic, things like that. If that can really improve, this is a really good player. Um, And I think that as the year goes on, he's really going to push up lists. For me, I've got him ahead of Cal Ritchie at this point. I think that it's Barlow and Musty, and then Carson Raycroft. And um, I feel confident about that. Uh, he's somebody who has really caught my eye in the last couple of months. And not just last couple of months, but at the Lincoln Gretzky, I thought he did really good in, in sort of a depth role for Canada. I thought he was really good last year for Kitchener and uh, as a U excuse me, as a U17 player. He just screams pro player to me. Um, and I think that there's a lot of untapped potential there. And I think that. If we're talking hot takes from the OHL, that's my hot take, that he's going to be a first-round pick. Gotcha. I've been paying a lot of attention to the WHL because I'm based in Edmonton and just all the, the high-end talent there, but just the other leagues, uh, maybe not so much. So it's interesting to hear uh, the OHL side of things from the draft. And 
it's crazy just how how crazy time has been flying by this year <laughs> like when we had you on i think it was like either late august or early september and that's like a four four months pretty much and then if you fast forward another four months it's gonna be may like so sooner than you know it the the draft is gonna be be here it's gonna be in nashville and i'm hoping hoping to go and i'm, I'm looking Really looking forward to it, especially as a Blackhawks fan. Even if they don't maybe get number one overall, I still feel they're going to get a high-end talent. And there's just so much talent in this class, even outside like the top five and top ten. It's a it's a great year. I think we saw that at the World Juniors. I mean, it's not that often that we see the U18 crop play as well as they did at the World Juniors. I mean, usually you have a couple that, that do really well um, and stand out positively, but it, it's not – a 17 or 18 year old tournament no. and the fact that we had so many play really well um, and continue to play well at this tournament, the ones that are still going, um, I think it, it really speaks volumes to how good this class truly is. And we've been hyping it up for, for a while. And I, I think that it deserves the hype. It's lived up to it. It's lived up to the billing for sure. I just hope I don't see any Adam Fantilli hate now that he hasn't been, you know, scoring four points a game like Connor Bedard. Oh, that, that mock draft where he's four is going to be so fucking sweet. You know it's coming. <laughs> and Leo Carlson's this, two, and I don't know who's three, but it's not going to be Mitch Cohn. It's, it's, a, it's a great point. And the way that I see the World Juniors, and this is sort of the opinion that I've always had, is a poor World Juniors should not knock your ranking, but a great World Juniors can help it. And I think that if you stand out against players that are older than you in a positive way, it should help your draft ranking because I think it, it maybe points to positive progression. Um, but if you struggle against players that are older than you um, with the expectations that are placed on you, I don't think that's something that should really be a, a knock against you at the draft. So Adam Fentilli is a perfect example. Um, I think you've got to look at the bigger picture and what he's managed to do for Michigan this year. Um, and look at just the package of, of skill and size that he brings to the table. I think Fantilli has been great defensively at the tournament. I don't think he's been great offensively, but I think he's been really good defensively. And I think you've got to look at some of those things when you're trying to evaluate him too. Um, it's tough to play with all of these different skill players, right? A player like Adam Fantilli, who's used to having the puck on his stick and driving play, you know, trying to play second fiddle can be a difficult thing, especially when he's now playing, you know, a position that he's not used to or hasn't played a ton either, right? Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm sure, Dylan, we're going to see some with uh, Fantilli in the four, five, six spot now. You know it's coming, um, but I don't agree with it. Yeah. <laughs> Got to well, love recency bias with draft oh, rankings. Yeah. It's, always the, it's always the season, especially – Every sport, it's not just hockey. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, so the thing I would say about that is in terms of recency bias, I think it's a good thing when you're constantly sort of reflecting on your rankings. And if you if you see a player, it's okay to move them up or move them down. But I think what you have to be really careful of is those big swings, right? Like you shouldn't see a player and then be like, oh man, like I'm moving this guy up from 70 to 20 on my list, or I'm moving this guy up or down a certain number based on that one viewing. But if, if it's a trend, right, I think it's fine to sort of make those, those switches. I think it's even more dangerous to move guys down based on a couple of, of bad viewings. I think that it's a lot more important to look at the bigger picture when you're talking about a player who's underperforming versus over. 
hundred percent. I, I have like, I have to agree with that. It's just like, you just see it every year with like, it takes some guy will have a great six games or someone will have a strong, uh, or, uh, see it or what's it called winter or the, what's the Memorial cup playoffs yeah. yeah. slipping my mind, but they'll have a good playoff and they just shoot up the draft rankings. And, you know, I'm, it's just nice to hear that perspective where it's like, you could do that when the trend's right, but like, you can't just have a knee jerk move a guy up 15 spots like it doesn't help the player nor does it help the team that he's going to draft him so and i think it should be all situational right you look at some of the players like dalibor Dvorsky is a great example i think for slovakia right who hasn't really had a terrific opportunity to play a, a significant role playing in the men's league in sweden right and now that he comes to a tournament is able to sort of be that guy he was very impressive and i think it's okay to say you know, maybe Dvorsky is a better player than we thought he was because we've been trying to evaluate him playing against men. So he's not even 18 yet. Like he's right, right. Um, so I think it all depends on the situation um, when you're trying to look at some of these recent evaluations. Context matters. 100%. No matter what you think, I, I really do. Like, as great as – I think Adam Fantilli is going to be, like, a great, like, number one center, but I just feel like Connor Bedard with this tournament, yeah, he's, like – he's just set himself apart from the rest of the class, I feel, if there is any doubt in anyone's mind. When you're breaking World Juniors records for, like, U18 singles, single run, like, he's averaging, like, three goals a game. It's just not fair. I I think we've put to bed any of the players contending Bedard for first overall. uh, There's no. I think that there was some of that at the beginning of the year. People talking about Fantilli, not very many, but there was a few. Just looking at him, maybe having slightly higher upside as a as a really good two way center at the NHL level, whereas people always seem to project Bedard as a winger at the NHL level. Um, and then yeah, obviously Carlson has that similar sort of package of size and skill, right? So there was a little bit of that creeping in at the beginning of the year. I think that that has been completely put to bed. I don't think we have to worry about listening to that anymore. I think it's Bedard is one and now it's what order do you see like two, three, four? Um, that's going to be the big one moving forward. Yeah, if you're that lottery team, you really don't want to be picked too because that's like who's who's the first one you're taking after him at this point because – it's easy to say who you're taking at one, but when you have two, three, four, you gotta you gotta really do some research because it's gonna start getting closer than it looks. I feel like it's gonna start evening out down the line. Like I think Fantilli's gonna be two, but it's just like the way everything works out and what teams want at what time. Like I'm very curious to see how it's all gonna shake out in the next couple of months. Yeah, I think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think it just it's going to depend on how the season finishes for a lot of these guys. How's Fantilli going to go back to Michigan after this tournament and play? Um, how's Michigan as a team going to do uh, in the NCAA this year? Are they going to go far in the Frozen Four at the end of the year and make a run at a title? Um, how's Leo Carlson going to do back in Sweden? He was kind of in a bit of a rut offensively after a really strong start. Is this going to sort of reinvigorate him and? and make him sort of play at the level that he was at the beginning of the year. Dvorsky, how's he going to do when he goes back to the Alsvenskin? Is, is it going to help him? Uh, when you look at the guys out West, um, how much more can they climb? How much better than they, can they do to help their draft stock, right? There's so many guys. Um, I think it's just going to depend on the projection at, at two and three. For me, I, I think, I mean, obviously Mishkov is another one, but obviously 
the political climate there, even if you're ranking him two, three, four, whatever you're ranking him, it seems likely that he's not going to go that high in the NHL draft, whether you agree with it or not. Teams are probably not going to take that risk currently um, when they've got a top five pick and a really strong draft year. Um, again, agree with it or not, it seems like it's something that's likely to happen. I, I would say two, three for me is is between Fantilli and Carlson. And I think that's just something that myself and, and my team at McKean's are going to have to Apparently really dig into. Yeah. Right. And I think it what's it's going to really depend on is whether you see Carlson as a center uh, at the NHL level. I think if you see him as a center at the NHL level, I think that you could argue him being ahead of Fantilli. I think that both of them have a similar sort of skill set. Um, and then it's just a matter of preference. But if you think Carlson projects better on the wing at the NHL level, which I have heard, I have read, um, then I think it's got to be Fantilli because I think that they're without question. I think he's at NHL center. I don't think there's any question there. For sure. I, yeah, I'm very curious to see where Carlson's stock ends up because if he has a strong season in the SHL, that's going to, that's going to hold a lot of weight when you start talking about who you're going to take at two or three. Cause even though Fantilli's kind of, he's almost teasing with the Eichel pace and like the U18 year, which is extremely impressive. You can't underestimate almost being if he if Carlson could turn it around and almost end up being like half point almost point a game in Sweden. That's you can't underestimate that. So I'm just excited. Just like I said, I'm just excited to see where it all ends up now. Like yeah, and Carlson everyone's as well, making the case. If he plays really well when he returns, is he somebody that Sweden gives a look to at the World Championships? Ooh, I didn't think about that. And then he Possible. gets one more big stage look. One more big stage to really impress scouts. That could be something that puts him over the top, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how everything sort of finishes out. For sure. For sure. Like, like I said, again, like it's been four months since we last had you on, and then a lot has changed. And then I imagine like the next four months, more is going to change. Like we're going to know – like draft picks are going to be traded at the trade deadline, like first round picks, second round picks. We're going to know who won the lottery. Like the World 18s are going to be played. We're going to be in the, the CHL playoffs. Like it's just time is moving by quickly. And as soon as you know it, like we're going to we're gonna be at the, the draft in Nashville. And it's going to be, a, I think, a, a big one just with all the, the high-end talent. It's been so much to follow it this year. Absolutely. And, yeah, thanks for coming on, Brock. I feel with every – Every prospect person that comes on that does pro- prospect scouting, I've, hockey is niche enough as a sport as it is, but to like be scouting junior players is the niche of the niche. So I, you you got to know your shit when you come on, and all you guys do is <laughs> so it's, it's always a fun time having you guys on and shutting us up and uh, talking about what you guys know because all of you are incredibly smart and intelligent and passionate about this. And that's what, that's what makes hockey great. I think. Uh, well, I appreciate the compliments, Pierce. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so day off today for the world juniors, but uh, then we get back into the swing of things tomorrow again, the Canada USA game. Uh, looking forward to that. And then us or uh, check in Sweden. I think either way, no matter how it ends up, it's going to be a good gold medal game, even good bronze medal game. Again, yeah, I'm just, I'm just pissed off that my preseason prediction can't come true because I had it as Canada, U.S., Czechia in terms of mm-hmm. the medals. But 
just didn't play out that way with uh, with the seeding. So I'm kind of pissed off about that. But I'll, I'll take uh, Canada, Czechia, USA. I'll take that. I, I think that's a solid victory still. So we'll oh, see. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Alrighty. So, yeah, thanks for coming on, Brock. And uh, maybe we'll commence in another few months right before the draft or after or whatever. But, uh, again, I think when, when, when we have you on next, a lot will have, more will have changed. So, yeah. yeah, my my pleasure, Pierce. Thanks, thanks, Pierce. Thanks, Dylan. Yeah, no worries. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care.